everybody, welcome back to Live and Laugh, and this is your host, Sonia. And today's story is not about me. One morning on 42nd Street in Manhattan, I see a woman in line to board a bus, punch the woman behind her. Her move is quick in practice. This is not the first person she has slugged. She shouts, you stop pushing me. A group of tourists pauses to take pictures, delighted to see New York in action. Others in the bus line step away. The one who was attacked, smaller and older, seems stunned by what has happened. But her assailant turns her back. She begins pounding her shoulders with glancing and ineffectual blows of rage. Every now and then, I'm overcome by the number of people in the streets and highways. In New York City, the crowds can be oppressive. In the suburbs, the volume of cars is numbing. Where's everybody going? Who are all these people? They pour through the streets endlessly. On the subway, I try to look at faces. Mostly, people are turned in on themselves. They get nervous if I look too long. They do not want to be singled out. But the struggle for position, like the two women boarding the bus, in New York intersections, pedestrians stand in crosswalks, glaring at drivers that try to run the lights. The drivers lean on their horns, Road rage is something we all have seen or felt. It seems to be more common than ever or just more visible. And yet, somehow, most of us get through the day without being injured or without injuring each other. That seems to be remarkable. That moment of us are not killed in through fares. Lately, when someone pushes me to take the last subway seat or jumps to the front of the line, at the coffee shop, I have been said, please, I want you to be first. The response is usually a murderous stare. Please, I want you to be first. The attitude is hard one to grasp. I do it out of anger as a rule, and therefore it cannot be counted against me as righteous. John the Baptist understood the implications of stepping aside for someone else. He probably is a pure and servant minister as a figure in New Testament. Suddenly, in the crowds along the Jordan River, he sees Jesus and knows, out of the chaos comes this light and sees him. I imagine the scene freezes for John. Everyone but Jesus stopped moving. Imagine being so tuned to creation that even as you are working, even as you are absorbed in your own life, as John was, you see, you sense the arrival of God. A door opens and there is the light. Look, it is what the prophet does. Show us the reality. Prophets are not just the ones who shout. Although John apparently was a shouter. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Here's the last of the prophets of Israel standing in the Jordan at the door to the promised land. Telling all who will listen. You are children of the snake. They flock to his abuse. Even the ruling classes who should know better. What do they think he is going to say? Jesus later asked the same question. What do you go to the prophet to hear? What do you want to know? The kingdom of heaven crashes like thunder into a cloudless day. We are drawn as to wreck by the side of the road. The crowd parts like the waters of the Red Sea. John points. His head's turn. This is a moment when sacred time enters human space. Does anyone else see anything? 
Or is it only John, only the one pointing? John says that this is the one greater than he, the one whose sandal he is unworthy to fasten, the one he has been talking about. The genuine prophet always points beyond the self. John's work is finished. He is finished. The moment this one steps out of the crowd and asks to be washed, John replies, no, it's the other way around. You wash me. I'm not worthy. He was mistaken. When we wash someone else, we give the honor. We acknowledge the holiness of their flesh. Even as John recognized in Jesus' holy flesh, when our children are young, we wash them. It's often a time of laughter, splashing in the bath. And when our parents grow old, sometimes we wash them too. When they are too sick or feeble to care for themselves, this is another kind of reverence caring for those who brought us into the world honoring their flesh a few years ago when my father was having seizures i spent time with my mother taking care of him together we would wash him he is a man who hates to give up control but he put up with our soaping his body making a joke of it why he said to my mother you wash the top part as far down as possible Ken, you wash up as far as possible. Any grant, I'll wash possible. I remember the surprise of the smoothness of his skin. It is a moment, this washing of one another in which we must decrease while the other, the one we wash, increases. Jesus teaches us the lesson of explicitly. On Maudy Thursday, when he insists on washing the disciples' feet, see? What I, your Lord, have done for you? I have given you an example. The crowds on the highway, the throngs in the subway, are all those invites us to wash. Among them, he is also walking. The crowd washes over us. People push us aside on their way somewhere else. The moment can be terrifying when we are engulfed by strangers. Stuck in traffic, we have nowhere to go. The subway door closes us in with people filled with resentment. Always around us are hundreds of thousands of them, each the hidden presence of God. When all I am thinking about is my own journey home, I will not see the one who is among them, but it is a fearsome thing to look too closely. For when God emerges in the crowd, time stops as it does for John. After that, I must decrease. Salvation is like that. It's not about me. Thank you for listening. And if you know anyone that could benefit from this podcast, please go ahead and share it with them.